Well, morning, everybody. Um, very warm welcome to Linesdown and warm welcome to you at home as well. My name is Ray, as Will said. I'm, I'm one of the church family here, and um, I'm not leading the morning services. It's Will, and I'm doing the talk, as he has said. And I'm also a ministry trainee. So if you ever were interested in getting involved with ministry training or wanted to learn uh, about the Bible more or to handle the Bible more, then really would encourage you to really have a go. And you can do it part-time or full-time and uh, speak to Rich or Mark or any of the, the staff team about that. Um, it's one of the few times that they let me out of the box and let me loose on the lectern, so I'm going to enjoy our time together and enjoy our time looking at God's Word, but let me pray as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word, that it is true, that it is good for us. I pray that we would receive your Word with attentive and humble hearts and I pray for great change in all our hearts today as we leave here and uh, in our lives as well. I pray that you would begin with my heart first. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think it's a given that if, um, if anything in this life is to be successful, you need a good foundation. Whether it's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's skills you're building, you need a good foundation. And structurally, in building things, that's no different. A good, deep foundation holds entire structures together. It prevents overloading and avoids, avoids compounding defects, I've read. And structural engineers are getting excited right now. But to build on the dodgy foundation, to continue building on it, can, disguise, can be disguised initially. You know, you, you put nice lick of paint, you know, nice plants, a nice rug. You can disguise a real serious underlying problem. And you keep building, you keep building, and as load increases, the cracks develop, right? And they get bigger and bigger. And it's a sure indication that that structure is going to fail. Will you want to build on that kind of foundation? Probably not. And Jesus here, he challenges us today to check what it is at your foundation that you are building your lives on today. And on the surface, it seems that you're doing the right things, everything's okay. But then the pressures from life come, health diminishes, job problems, financial worries, family relations break down. And you try concealing these craps with expanding foam, spiritual expanding foam. Ever used expanding foam before? You know, one squirt, and you can fill any size gap, any size hole, one squirt. And you give money to charity. You know, you come to church regularly, and you serve. But you keep doing that, and before you know it, the whole structure fails because you realize that you've built your whole house on a bed of marshmallow. Whether it's your health, whether it's your ambition, whether it's your family, Jesus asks you, what are you building your lives on today? And there's an ultimately, infinitely more stronger foundation that he wants us all to build our lives on. And so, yeah, we're in the um, Gospel of Luke, and Rich was preaching on this uh, last year. And in chapter 1, we see that Luke writes to give certainty. Do you remember that? He gives certainty of all these things, the coming and the birth of Jesus, the Saviour, that he'd done all these miracles and healing, um, to give a testament to his identity and his authority as God and the Son of God. 
that he is the one who is willing and able to save people from their sin by calling them to repentance and to preaching them the good news. And in chapters 5, you see that he's calling his disciples and establishing this new kingdom of God, a new type of people, a new Israel, we could say. And we arrive at chapter 6, as, as Will said, uh, midway in the Sermon on the Plain. And he's given this, this sermon to his disciples first, and then around him are this great multitude, like a masses of the size of Wembley, we could say. And he's given us this message to us today. And he tells us if you're going to survive well and live well in this kingdom, there can be only one sure, solid foundation to build on. If I draw your attention to verse 47 again. Everyone who comes and to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. So Jesus and his words are the foundation on the rock. And no, they're not mutually exclusive. They're Jesus and his words are Jesus. And Jesus is the only sure foundation to build our lives on today. And that's why I've called this talk Building on Jesus. And why does Jesus need, feel the need to do this? Because there's a problem, right? There's a problem with all his disciples, there's a problem with the multitude, and there's a problem with us today, that we're all sinners. We all fall short of his perfect standard, that we're all, frankly, rubbish at following him. We can't build on that ourselves, on our own foundation. But can we build on the world? The world that we thought was so safe a couple years ago, we now see that it's totally uncertain and unsafe. So with all the disciples in their sin, or the, or the sin with our sin, he goes to the cross and he suffers this terrible death to pay for the wrath that we deserve, just so that when we fail, that we can have the certainty that he's already laid that foundation for us and that we can have that joy and confidence in a foundation that's free, and it's so solid, more solid than any foundation in the world. And it's only from this foundation that we can build on, that we can trust, and we see the overflowing blessings and where good treasure can be found, and we're going to see that in a few moments. But what does it look like? What does it look like building on Jesus and his words? Well, Jesus shows us and it warning here, it is hard work. Building work, if you've ever done it, is hard work. Digging, digging deep, it says in verse 48, is hard work. It's back-breaking work. You get blisters all over your hands. My hands are too delicate for that now. And it's hard work. So he, Jesus says there's three areas that his disciples need to build in order to live well in this new kingdom. And the first point is that to live generously. From verse 37, he says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And Jesus is not saying here, don't ever judge or don't ever criticize. And if I was to go up to Will Rugg here and do a Will Smith and slap him in the face, you would judge me. You would judge me as being terrible. That would be a terrible thing to do. You know, the reality is that his family wouldn't let me near him, and he'd probably do, I'd get a backfist in the face. No, Jesus is here, he's concerned with the heart attitude that is constantly being morally judgmental, constantly lording it over each other to feel good about yourself. 
And you might have a coffee, uh, conversation over coffee uh, with a newcomer from church, and you find out what church they're from, and you have all these ideas in your head of they're maybe coming from the prosperity gospel or prosperity church, a weird and wacky church. And you, think, you say, hey, guys, we've got a level two Christian over here. Stick with me, and you'll be fine. You'll be level five in no time. It's that kind of thinking. Or maybe you're a parent and you have children and you see them misbehaving in church and you can't wait to go home and tell your spouse, you see those children, the way they behaved? I would never let our children behave like that. Never, ever. Really? And someone comes to you and they share in a problem. They want help, church family. And as you're listening to them, you're thinking, thank God I'm not like you. Thank God I don't have that same addiction as you. And you do that, and you just stepped into the shoes of the Pharisees. In chapter 18, verse 11, the Pharisee that looks up and says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And it's the same attitude that the Pharisees and the scribes here have, and they send Jesus to the cross, and they condemn Jesus. It's really not attractive, is it, guys? I know it because I see it in myself. Jesus says there's no place in his kingdom for that. And we're to forgive and give. We're to be building forgiveness in our hearts. And that's easy to do with um, people outside the church. But what about church family? When they rub you up the wrong way, what do you do with that? They should know better, right? Are you ready to give people the benefit of the doubt? Do you dig deep in your pockets to do that, in ourselves, with our money, our time, our energy, hospitality, and much more than that? Or do you give them your genuine attention, your genuine interest? When you're speaking to them and having a conversation, are you showing them genuine interest, or are you doing the lines-down shuffle? You know what a lines-down shuffle is? You're having this conversation, and it's a difficult conversation. You're not really gelling with them, and it's going nowhere, and you see someone else across the room that you'd rather speak to. They might, they're going to make you feel better about yourself, and you kind of shuffle yourself away from that conversation. We do it all the time. Again, not particularly attractive, Jesus says. But mercifully, Jesus doesn't leave our hearts completely smashed, and he says there's rewards for living this way, for building in his kingdom this way. And when I make it clear that this is not the prosperity gospel, we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. I hope I made that clear at the beginning. But we can't ignore verse 38. It says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So as we're not judging, we're not condemning, we're forgiving and we're giving, God literally pours out his blessings on his people. And he gives this illustration of grain that's been poured out into a market. And you can't really relate to grain. You can imagine Fra Rocher that's been poured out. And you're trying to catch it in your lap, and it's just being poured out and poured out, and more and more blessings are coming, and you're trying to push it down, and more and more overflowing. And that's the illustration that God gives here as his blessings he gives to his people. And at the Men's Away Day, we were, we were um, quite helpfully reminded that blessings are those that he gives to his people to put them, God gives to his people to put them on the best possible path. And blessings then are therefore God's goodness that he gives to his people to put them on this path. 
And if you're not a Christian here today, you're not a believer, or you're sitting on the fence, can I say that you're missing out on these blessings? And can I ask you to get tapped in and involved in, in, in speak, maybe speaking to, to one of the, the church team here? Find out what these blessings are. And what the greatest blessing that is ever given us, that we all as Christians need to be reminded of daily, and maybe that's why we find it so difficult to, to give generously or to live generously, that God the Father gave his one and only Son to pour out his blood on undeserving sinners like us. And that his giving is greater than we could ever give him. So we're to live generously and we're to see more clearly, is my second point. So from verse 39, um, Jesus gives this illustration of the blind guide leading the blind. And he also told them a parable from verse 39. Can a blind man lead a blind man? And this is a, a famous uh, parable, illustration. Um, if you think of a falsely confident blind man or teacher leading another blind man around high barnets, and they're tripping over the curb, and they're tripping over dog walkers, and he's saying, don't worry, I'll get us to Waitrose. But the terrible reality is, Jesus says, that they both fall into a pit, and they're never to get out again, never to be rescued again. Verse 40 says, a disciple will be like his teacher. And this describes a time where students would follow around their teachers everywhere and see the way they lived and follow them. And Jesus here is really pointing to the Pharisees who are the blind guides and our time today, false teachers. So if you're going to live a life in this kingdom, he says, don't follow false teachers. Don't follow teachers of the the social gospel, the prosperity gospel. Follow the authority of the only gospel, or you'll end up being like them, fully trained and fully damned. And then Jesus here gives us even more comical illustration of this man with this log sticking out his eye. And if you imagine one Sunday morning, a man walks in with this flagpole sticking out his eye, with a Union Jack waving on it because it's the Queen's Jubilee. And he's walking around the hall, and he's knocking over the chairs, the camera, and he's poking holes in the projector screen, not even realizing what's going on around him. And he turns around, and he sees his friend in the corner, and he sees his friend is rubbing his eye, and he goes, yeah, mate, you've got something in your eye, and it looks really bad. Let me take that out for you. And he runs over, and he tries to help his friend out, but he can't get close to him because his friend's got his back against the wall. You see how funny this illustration is? Well, Jesus says, not so funny, because in verse 42, he says, You hypocrites. You hypocrites. You prance about leading Bible studies, Sunday school, pointing out prayerlessness in other people, yet you yourself are doing very little about it. And if you're a parent, maybe you're quick to show your temper to your child when they haven't listened to you, yet you yourself are very quick to ignore good advice and lack discipline. You hypocrites, Jesus says. And I realize realize as I'm speaking to you now, I'm a hypocrite. And again, Jesus is not saying don't point out specks in others. See at the end of verse 42, It says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly how to take the speck out that is in your brother's eye. 
So as we seek to bound in love for one another and wanting each other to become more Christ-like, are we doing so with deep humility, realizing that we're all here uh, a family of log-bearers, and that we're trying to help each other, our church family? So we're to live generously, we're to see clearly, and we're to bear good fruit. And from verse 43, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. So he gives this illustration of good trees and bad trees, good fruit and bad fruit. And if we skip to verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance the heart of the heart the ma- his mouth speaks. So Jesus here goes right to the roots of the problem. He says the things we say, the things we do, show and reveal what's in our hearts. And that's scary, isn't it? And verse 44, are we, are we, and we're known by what we say, what we do. Each tree is known by its fruits, it says. Are you known for bearing good fruits? Do you demonstrate Christ-like character in everything and everywhere you go? Are you known in the workplace for being different? And I don't mean that you go out at lunchtime to catch Pokemon, but you go out at lunchtime to go to a Christian talk to be encouraged by that, and you come back and you tell the people in your office about it. Or you known at the school gates as the parent who invites their children to really impressive parties, or the parent that invites their children back and around just to be able to share a little of the gospel with them. Are you bearing good fruit? of fruit that is unusable for his kingdom. And these are hard words. These are tough, guys. This is really tough, isn't it? And just in case you're in any doubt, does Jesus really mean us to meet this standard? Look at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus says you can't profess to follow him and not do what he says. You know, you like the person of Jesus, you believe in him, but... You know, you'll do everything up to a point, but when stuff gets hard and it becomes uncomfortable and it's infringing on your, your well-being, your life, you stop. You don't follow what he says. He says that's not up. That's not on. But does Jesus mean to drive us crazy, setting up for failure? No, because he reminds us that he is the solid foundation on which to build on, where good fruits can be grown. And that there's always forgiveness on that foundation. So on this foundation that Jesus gives us these building blocks, or these building bricks to build with, to, to give generously, to, to see more clearly, and to, to bear good fruit. And not to just hear them in a sermon, or just to, to read them when you're doing your quiet time, but to trust him and do what he says. And in doing so, it builds this unshakable house, he says, And whenever you feel that your sin is great and you feel that your spiritual house you're building is more like an outhouse than a townhouse, and when that storm of guilt comes, you have that foundation on Christ that you can always run to, you can always have that shelter. And when Satan comes with temptation and disease and loss and he batters our buildings, you may get a few roof tiles falling off or windows broken, but your house will always remain unshakable. 
And that is to do, um, to hear Jesus' words and do them. Or you hear the words of Jesus and not do them. And that's the difference here. It's not that, that, uh, that, that you don't hear Jesus' words and the person that does hear Jesus' words. They're both people that hear Jesus' words. And one does them, one doesn't do them. And you'll be like the man in verse 49 if you don't do them. The man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When a stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. That stream of suffering comes and you find out that the scary reality is that Jesus was never your foundation in the first place. That there's no joy, no hope, no Jesus. So, guys, building in the life in the kingdom is difficult, but we can always come to him for grace and mercy in any situation, especially in the areas that we fail and that we can be certain of the overflowing reward and the blessings and joy that comes with building our lives on his way, his blood, his words, and that he will see us home to heaven and the new creation with plenty, there will be plenty and abundance. So guys, the bricks are here and so is the foundation. And the question is to you guys, will you build on it? Will you build on it? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gospel, that firm foundation. Thank you for showing us what real building, real living looks like in your kingdom. And thank you for the certainty that, of Jesus that he is the only way that we can be part of that kingdom and that he is that sure rock and that foundation we can build our lives on. Help us to always rely on your grace and to give generously to, to see more clearly our sin and to please be going before us and bearing good fruit. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.